Kezi. Ja, ja! Daar is Klaassen, goal! Welcome to podcast 50 from Football Adania, talking all Dutch football. Thank you very much to our ever-growing audience on YouTube, SoundCloud and iTunes for your support. We hope to treat you today to a brilliant podcast as usual. I'm Michael Statham and I'm joined by James Rowe as well as special guest Paul Thomas Clay who's a commentator on all sorts of European football in Norway including of course the Dutch Eredivisie which is on the menu today as well as a preview of Ajax's Champions League quarter-final with Juventus. If you enjoyed today's special 50th podcast, give us a like and subscribe if you're new. Enjoy. Paul, James, thanks for joining me. Um, now, the first thing we need to talk about is the biggest news. It's just happened. Um, Vitesse 3, PSV 3. What a game. It also opens up the Eredivisie title race so that Ajax now sit top of the table, um, which they don't do very often. They haven't done the last three, three years um, at all. They, they have not sat top after a, a match week. For a long, long time, but Paul, I, I must, I must ask you first about the actual game itself. You were commentating um, in Norway for for Test Three, PSV Three. What did you make of the game? Oh, it was a crazy game, uh, back and forth. Uh, I, I thought I had the, my feeling was that uh, Vitesse was was the better team, actually, maybe because I expect more from PSV. Uh, I, di- I really didn't, don't think they uh, come close to the top level uh, in this game or last weekend against uh, Ajax. Uh, I really think this uh, might be Ajax's season. Uh, I felt that after after the game in Amsterdam. Um, uh, I think, uh, well, they're good enough to draw with the uh, Fitesse. I really I wasn't impressed by uh, Van Bommel's tactics or uh, substitutions or anything. Uh, they're too dependent on uh, on individuals to get results nowadays. That's very true, and I think we've seen recently PSV's tactical decisions, or should I say Mark Van Bommel's decisions, especially with the midfield. He tends to go with um, an inexperienced midfield trio. Um, Sadilex also been coming in a lot recently. Um, but, you know, did that sort of tell today with those decisions that, I mean, they scored two penalties, and after the match, Leonard Slutsky was not happy at all um, with the refereeing decisions from Guzabiak and was Slutsky right to um, be so aggrieved with those penalty decisions? Uh, not the penalties awarded uh, to P- uh, PSV, no, but, but uh, they should have had one of their own uh, just before half-time. The high boot, uh, I, I really don't uh, understand why they uh, didn't uh, give that penalty because it's, it's a clear penalty, you can't have the boot two meters above ground and uh, that not being a dangerous play. Uh, I really th- thought that was a penalty for for Fites just before half time. And that would have probably changed the dynamics of the game uh, going into half time with a 2-1 lead. And um, I was just speaking about the midfield there, um, today Hendricks, Pereiro and Rosario made a midfield trio a bit more experienced and I think it's a midfield trio that a lot of PSV fans want to see. James, um, do you think that Marvel Bommel gave him some of the pressure today to play that more experienced midfield? And we can see that it didn't work. They again dropped points and probably didn't look at their best at all today. No, well, I saw in the uh, in the post-match that Van Bommel stated that he felt PSV did enough to win. 
and Slutsky was um, saying that the ref- referee was very egotistical in his decisions. And I, th- I think BSB, I think the way they've played this season, it's it's cost a lot of energy for the players and also the, you know, this is a more debut season as the as the main manager of PSV, and he's obviously trying different things and he has very much a lot of belief in the young players to give them an opportunity. But there's five games remaining now. Ajax are top on goal difference, and and this is where people start to study the running of potential fixtures and, and what's coming up. And, and the two that jump out for me for. Um, PSV are the away days they have in Alkmaar and in Tilburg against Willemsvay. Um, I think those could yet be decisive. But I think I stated on pod before. You know, we know ourselves from following this area obviously for many, many years. That it generally always seems to go down to the last day, and um, I don't, I can't see this year being any different. I, I think obviously a good result for Vitesse today to hold PSV because I know that. Ajax fans were looking at it being a potential banana skin for PSV. But with five games to go, there's many a twist and turn ahead. And um, I still think they will go to the final day. Um, Paul, you're, you're probably going to get a chance to watch more of PSV and Ajax this season. Since you're commentating a lot on the Eredivisie. Um, you're, you, do you think now that this is Ajax's to lose? you think it's going to be their season? Um, but in my opinion, I feel that Ajax might have a bit too much going on with the Champions League going, the quarterfinal awaits, the cup final awaits. Is the league, I mean, I'm sure the league is somewhat of a priority, but do these distractions not help that? And can that still mean that PSV will win the title because of these other um, competitions that Ajax will be concentrating on? Uh, it's, uh, what do you call it, a double-edged sword? Uh... Uh, it gives energy to to succeed in different competitions, so uh, they have a lot of uh, interesting games to uh, look to when they they prepare for uh, the, the the last leg of the season. Uh, I think uh, the cup final uh, doesn't matter because that's uh, uh, in a weekend when, when there's no league play anyway. So. That doesn't steal any energy or focus from them. It, the Juventus games might uh, uh, steal some focus, but uh, it, I think it gives more energy than it uh, drains out of them. So I think this uh, this will be Ajax's uh, season. I think they will uh, take the title now, but uh, it's uh, it's bit too early to be 100% sure but it seems to me like the team spirit uh, in Ajax is uh, very good uh, these days you see the pictures from the training ground they they hug each other they play they they seem uh, at ease with the situation um, I stated we had our predictions on a pod just before the season began and uh... Uh, Mike thought that PSV would win it and I said that Ajax would win it and I'm sticking to it right to the end. I think the um, I think the Champions League in Europe particularly having seen them in the qualifying rounds against the likes of Sturm Graz to come so far to get through the group they did and to um, to dispatch of the three time winners in their own stadium in the manner from which they give will, will do will, they did will give them a lot of confidence. But the league is the priority. You know, should Ajax not win the Eredivisie this, um, this season, it'll be five years. And yes, it's very nice to have a, a great young 
youth academy players coming through, looking at potential um, transfers to, to gain a lot of money. But, you know, this is the biggest club in the country and uh, they want to close the gap, in the words of Overmars, to the European counterparts, not to the Real Madrid's by Munich or Juventus, but that that second tier, if you like, they want to close the gap to be involved in that in the coming years. But I think for them, the, the title is the priority. I, I said right at the start of the season that they would do it, and um, I stick by that. Okay. Well, we touched upon Ajax against Juventus there. Let's talk a bit more about that. That's one of the big fixtures coming up um, for Dutch football. And Ajax do take on Juventus in the Champions League quarter-final. One of the questions that we had is from our regular questioners, Abdul, and he wants to know if Ajax are going all the way to the final. Is it possible? I think all three of us can agree that it would be very difficult for Ajax, but anything can happen. If you can get past Juventus, then then who knows? And you just need that little bit of luck in the Champions League, don't you, to get anywhere. Um, let's preview the match. What do we think? Do Ajax have a chance? And if so... How will they have that chance? Paul, you seem to watch a lot of Juventus. Um, you commented a lot on Serie A. What can you tell us about Juventus? What are their strengths and perhaps their weaknesses? What can Ajax exploit? There are a lot of things that uh, Ajax can exploit, uh, obviously, because they have got an ageing defence uh, just... Uh... Uh, uh, to look at the age of Bonucci and Chiellini, they, they they are very experienced, of course, and and that that uh, counts in the US favor. But but uh, I think there's a way to work around those two, uh, um, and I like uh, the approach uh, that Ten Hag's uh, done lately with uh, Tadic as a false number nine. That that can be a key to getting around those two. Uh, uh, in the middle of uh, Juve's defense, because uh, using Dolberg or uh, Huntler, uh, I, I, I don't think that will, will work at all. Uh, but a uh, false number nine and they work around those two in the middle. Uh, they have two um, uh, people on the side: uh, Alexandro, uh, most probably on the left, and uh, Joao Cancelo on the right. There is room behind those two for Neres and Sieg to exploit. There's a lot of ways to punch hole in the uh, in the Juve defense. Then again, they are very experienced at this level. They've been uh, this far in the tournament many many times, and they've been to the finals uh, a couple of times in the recent years. So 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 they. Uh, I think that would count to Juve's. Uh, 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 I think that will count uh, for you in these games. Uh, Ronaldo will probably return for the ga for game two. Probably won't play uh, this the first game in Amsterdam. And uh, we also uh, saw how he turned around the fixture against Atletico Madrid. They lost two 0 away, but they uh, hammered uh, one of the best defensive teams in uh, Europe three 0 uh, in Turin. I think this match in the first leg is going to be a two-two draw. I think that um, Ajax are full of confidence after the way upon which they saw after three times uh, uh, consecutive winners in, in Real Madrid in, a, in their own stadium. But for me, I think what makes me think that these ties will be completely different is, um, in some cases, speaking to a few Ajax fans and, and general media, they, they seem to think over here it's, it's not Ajax against Juventus, it's Ajax against Ronaldo. 
And for example, when Ronaldo was injured on international duty, the talk of the town was, oh, he might not play the first leg. But for me, the biggest difference between Real Madrid and Juventus is that Ajax are now facing a master tactician in Max Allegri. You saw when they exactly. made it. When they beat champ, when they beat Tottenham in the Champions League um, last season, he made two substitutions and the game turned on its head. And he has the capability to do that at any time during the next 180 minutes. And I think Ajax will be full of confidence upon which to weigh their playing domestically. And the home crowd have been a, have been a, have played a key role in the um, in their European adventure so far this season in uh, even the pre-qualifying rounds it was really uh, a great atmosphere that was made in the, in the group stage against Benfica and, and Bayern Munich as well and uh, of course Real Madrid and I just think that, that I don't think Ajax will lose in Amsterdam against Juventus but I think with the second leg being in Turin and with the, the capability of Max Allegri and as uh, Paul quite rightly points out they got to the final in 2017 you know this is for Juventus to the holy grail now this is what they want they, they could they could be um, they could be champions of Serie A very very shortly having had a, a period of dominance after after such a long time of, of climbing, climbing back up uh, through the divisions but um, the one they want is the holy grail and uh, I do believe Ajax have a chance but I just think with the mm. not just in terms of the player personnel but I just think but in a tactical sense you know Solari wasn't able to react to what Ajax were doing in the Bernabeu um, and I think Max Allegri will be able to react whether Ajax put pressure on at home in Amsterdam or even in Turin and I think that's going to be the difference I think I think that that will be the difference. But I will say, as you say, as you quite rightly point out, Michael, you know, luck can, um, can play a big part in the Champions League. I do I do think that Juventus will go through over two legs, but I also think that should Ajax put in yet another tremendous performance, especially away from home, I do think that the winner of this, um, this two-legged affair will go on to be in the Champions League final. It's a great point you make about Allegri, uh, actually, because he's he's master of counterplay. Uh, I've tried to figure out his starting eleven for for the upcoming game, but uh, even though I've uh, I've uh, studied uh, all his starting elevens uh, over the few, last few years, he always th- uh, seems to throw you a curveball in front of these uh, important games here I, I really uh, don't know which 11 he will pick and uh, which formation uh, so uh, and to solve the the Tadic uh, situation that I mentioned earlier uh, he can just um, make uh, Emre Can or Sami Khedira drop deep and uh, and uh, and um, uh, counter that uh, thing uh, from Ajax, I think. So, so a uh, master of counterplay, master tactician, uh, and I th- he's probably the single most important component in the uh, uh, quest for the for the Champions League uh, trophy. I'm just thinking back to the time when um, Ajax reached the Europa League final, and this is a different Ajax team to the one that was then. Um, I think this. Ajax team now is better than the one that reached the Europa League final. However, um, there are similarities. Ajax are playing with a lot of energy. They're very quick. They're obviously playing the Ajax way. Um, and I'm just thinking to when Ajax play Manchester United in the Europa League final um, and Jose Mourinho 
was a very good tactical display there um, from him to quell the threats of Ajax and really play quite defensive. Um, and it just it nullified the threats of Ajax. I just wonder if Allegri will use something similar here with Juventus, um, not sitting back, but using those same sort of techniques to break down that space in between the lines, which Ajax like to use. I, I think personally that David Nella should be um, really key to this match. He's been on, on fine form recently for Ajax um, on the left wing. And if Juventus can find a way to stopping him, then that will stop a lot of the, the balls coming into the box and also a lot of the energy of the team. Because I think he carries a lot of the threat for Ajax at the moment. Yeah, it's a, it's a good point. Counterplay is uh, Allegri's probably foremost strength in a way. Uh, it doesn't uh, play football to entertain or uh, anything like that. He 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 plays to win, and and that's uh, he he'll do anything to win. He's very good at analyzing opponents and making the right uh, tactical decisions uh, at the right time during games. So. Uh, uh, I I also think that uh, Juventus will go through, uh, but th- there is a chance for Ajax uh, if they can make uh, things work for them to their advantage, uh, of course. Yeah, I, I think that um, it's hard. To, I mean, I, James has already given a prediction of 2-2. I think it's very hard to call this match, and I myself can't give a prediction. I think it's very difficult to do so, and it just depends um, how well Juventus can really deal with Ajax. Just a final question um, to preview this match. We've been asked um, via Twitter about the battle between De Ligt and Ronaldo. And we've seen before um, that De Ligt, I think only a year after his senior debut for Ajax, how well he dealt with Cristiano Ronaldo on international duty for the Netherlands. Can we see an even better performance from De Ligt um, when they, the, the two, two sides meet? Or do you think that Ronaldo's out for revenge and perhaps remembers that poor night he had for Portugal? One of the key factors for that match, and <coughs> although it might sound churlish what I'm about to say, but I do believe it to be, to be true. That match was held in a neutral setting. That match was not played in Portugal or in the Netherlands. It was played in Switzerland. And I think that added to the surreal atmosphere of that international friendly. I, I wonder how seriously it was taken. It was a great performance by... Uh, De Ligt, and I think it will stand him in good stead. But you know, De Ligt at the age of 19 is already writing history here in the way he conducts himself and the way he led his team to victory in the Bernabeu and um, you know, captained in every sense of the word that victory. And at the age of 19, it's a key component in their title push. I think, um, I think what Juventus would be wise to do, you know, is scout him properly because I know Barca is heavily linked with De Ligt, but he's not of the bottle, he's not. I'm going to go to Barcelona because my mate's just gone to Barcelona. He will go exactly where he wants to go. And for him personally, a move, to, a potential move to the Serie A or even uh, La Liga with Real Madrid would be, a, in my in my opinion, a, a great move. But I think he'll take a lot of heart from what happened in that international game that you rightly point out, Mike, uh, Michael. But I think um, I think Ronaldo as well, with his professionalism, will, will give a little bit more back. And then. Um, I just think that the list will remain the same. You know, he's, I've watched him play on numerous occasions this season domestically and also in Europe, and he he relishes every game. I don't think he'll be looking at oh, it's uh, I'm up against Ronaldo again. He'll just keep his professionalism at such a young age, and it's a joy to see really. And it's, uh, 
wonderful that such a young captain who's come through the famous academies playing such a vital role for Ajax defensively but also in leadership terms. If 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 anything, the 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 international game uh, uh, would would work uh, to Ronaldo's uh, advantage in in the sense that he doesn't like to lose in he hates to lose more than anyone in the football world i think uh, he's uh, if he's reminded of, of that he'll put in the extra effort to uh, really really beat the uh, list in every uh, every situation uh, so uh, but the list is is so so impressive uh, so uh, yes i think he can stop him but uh, but still it's ronaldo we're talking about he saw what he did against atletico madrid after the awful first game and having played atletico madrid uh, many times uh, he's he's uh, he's a beast when uh, when you um, when you see him play like that um, uh, so uh, i think the key to stopping ronaldo isn't uh, in the duels, just uh, directly with him, it's cutting off the supply lines for uh, for uh, Ronaldo to make him uh, play uh, with his back against the goal and uh, to take out the speed of his uh, involvements, uh, so so he doesn't run towards goal, but he runs the wrong way in a way. If you know what I mean. True. Um, good start to the podcast, and there's plenty more to come on this podcast, including talking about. The likes of Arda Den Haag, Feyenoord, some more about the Eredivisie itself, Netherlands women, plenty more to come. Now, I would just like to ask you to one more question about Ajax and PSV before we move on. And it's um, a question sent in on Twitter by Total Ramdota. And he says, who do you think will suffer more from the summer departures, Ajax or PSV? Dep- depends uh, how many players Ajax lose. Uh, I think uh, Ajax uh, would have to do a, a, a bigger rebuilding job after the summer. I, I, I see uh, quite a few players leaving, but then again, a few of those in the starting eleven, uh, of course, uh, stay. But uh, they probably lose three or four players. Uh, so uh, I think yeah, Ajax will be hurt the most, but they they are master of rebuilding teams in uh, Amsterdam. Yeah, I agree. I think with the departure of De Jong and the potential departure of uh, Siege and Tagliafico and possibly De Ligt, um, I think that will um, that will hurt <laughs> more when it is a bigger rebuilding um, job. I think with PSV already investing in their youth um, products and their youth personnel. More recently in this season than previous years, which is uh, which is a good thing for them because it's been long overdue. I think that it will be a bigger rebuilding job for Ajax. It'll be interesting to see who Cohen goes. I know that a lot of people are, are linking lots of lots of players with a move, but you know there's lots of facets to transfers. You know, in terms of players being happy and, and potential moves and coming off foot, there'll be many many changes. It's also a a summer without a major tournament, so maybe deals will be done early. But to answer the question, I think it will be Ajax. Um, personally, I think that we'll see um, PSV suffer the most. I think that Ajax will make more money from the players that leave, in addition to their Champions League money, meaning that they can recover a lot easier. We've already seen that they've made the third most expensive signing in their history. Yeah, they they. A little while ago, Ajax came out with saying, you know, we can't afford these big players anymore, but now we've seen that they can, and they can probably beat their old transfer record 
very soon if they can continue to collect all this money from the, the players that they're developing. Um, however, with PSV, you're looking at some of the players may go. Lozano, for example, is being looked at all season from bigger clubs. Um, but I don't see too many of them leaving. Perhaps Julian Zutz will eventually move on. But he's ageing a little now. And I wonder if he still commands the same fee as he used to be able to. Um, whereas also PSV, I think you'll see Dumfries stay. Um, Berkvine might even stay another year. Um, and it's just what PSV do with the money that they receive. Whether they strengthen a bit like Ajax and actually get some more senior players in. Um, for example, a Tadic that can really make a big impact in the Eredivisie. Or if they just reinvest some money into their youth and rely upon the likes of Rosario, Sadilek to, um, to step up a little and make a great impact next season. Gakpo, another player as well that could do that. Um, I, I think this just brings us on nicely to the next question we received from Gareth. And he says, uh, with Anana signing a new deal at Ajax, do you think that might take, make some of the players linked with moves away want to stay? For a little while longer. And I don't think that just goes for Ajax. I think that could go for PSV and Feyenoord as well. That some of the bigger players might actually just think about staying at the club for a little bit longer. And enjoying the European experiences that Ajax can enjoy. Not just that, Michael, as well. But the, we've seen the likes of, um, for example, how Depay got on at Manchester United. And, um, and that all that glitters is not always gold. And the most important thing for players is to be able to play. For example, Silicon moving from Ajax to Barcelona and playing really Copa del Rey matches in Champions League, dead rubbers and that kind of thing. You know, it's not always it's not always um, conducive to the development of a playing career. And especially for the young Dutch players as well, it's important it's important to be able to play. You know, I remember to give you an example, I remember speaking to uh, John Verhoek, who signed for Ren um, from um, from here in the Netherlands, he signed for Ren a couple of years ago, and he told me about the time he had his first training session and the pace of, of the training session alone. He thought to himself, "This is frenetic, and it's just a training session." So I can understand the. Um, I can, and he even told me that in hindsight, he shouldn't really have gone, but obviously the the move come about, and he wanted to take his opportunity. But I think we, we've reached the stage now where players are a lot more thoughtful about the the moves they make, and I. I think that can only be a good thing because particularly for the young players it's about playing regularly as possible to develop to develop and get even better in your career it's no good for young players to be leaving and, and end up on a bench and hardly play and be loaned out somewhere and there's lots and lots of different cases of that so as you rightly point out players may well stay and that can only be a good thing and we'll also see the league improve slightly more as well and um, we all know it's, a, it's an acquired taste the area of busy but it has an awful lot to offer but I agree I think players staying can only end up long term to be a good thing well, let's um, move on from talking about Ajax and PSV now and let's have a little chat about Feyenoord. So we had a question from Justin and he wants to know, you know, are Feyenoord happy being the third biggest team in the Eredivisie? I would say they're not. I mean, I think they're relieved with their uh, with their title win for the first time in 18 years. And, uh, recently, you know, not too long ago. And um, yeah, I think they wanted to consolidate and push on, but... You know, there's so much going on behind the scenes with the development of a new stadium, which is going to regenerate an entire area of Rotterdam. And obviously, with the news of Van Bronckhorst leaving to be replaced by Jaap Stam, who only 
basically turned up at the Swalla not so long ago and, and took over the reins there, having had a stint at Reading in uh, in England, and then all of a sudden you're manager of finals. You know, there's, there's lots of changes coming up. There's um, obviously Bogdan Van Persie is also retiring. Uh, the technical director Martin Machel is also is also leaving, and um, yeah, there's lots of changes afoot, not just on the pitch but off it as well for the club. It's going to be a very very busy summer for them, and I hope that they can reinvest any money they receive, and and help their youth teams to get even better. You know, it's not so long ago they moved into a new training complex, which uh, which you know is is tremendous uh, for them, and it looks fantastic. And uh, you hope they would see the, the benefits of it. But it's a real, real, going to be a really busy summer for Feyenoord. Of course, they're not happy being third. And with a, an 18-point gap between them and PSV and Ajax, it's, it's a bit too much for them. You know, the equivalent of six matches alone. And, um, yeah, a very, very busy summer awaits uh, Yapstam and Feyenoord, both on and off the pitch, in my opinion. I think, you know, you, you can see at the minute in the Eredivisie table that it's not even comfortable for them to be the third biggest team in the Eredivisie. Well, size-wise, yes, third, but um, position-wise, ours are pushing them very hard for third position. And, um, Paul, you've probably seen um, final a bit this season. And what have you made of their play and what do you think needs to change at that club? It's a complex situation for them. Uh, I, I think... Uh... Uh, they re- uh, really need to sort of build a, a new team in a way. Uh, they're not uh, a, a top team in uh, in any, in not in not at the back, not in the defense, not in the midfield, not uh, in the attack. I think they just they're 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 the third team in in the ADVC in every sense of the word and with the players uh, leaving and with the problems that uh, that uh, you talked about James it's a really big real building job and I think I don't think they will be uh, in the top two positions next year I think it will take uh, at least uh, uh, two seasons before they're uh, in the top two position positions. Yeah, they've been a tough watch as well, and some of the players really need to leave that club. Unfortunately for them, though, that some of their best players, they're not very young either, and that just means that the value will decrease, meaning they can't make the money that Ajax and PSV can. And uh, I think a lot of the, their best players, like Tony Vilena, for example, uh, he should have left two years ago. Uh, I think he stayed on too long. There's uh, the changes they've been through the last uh, few seasons. The the new signings haven't uh, really uh, lived up to expectations. So um, uh, yeah, they have a re- really big uh, job ahead. If I can just add about Tony Filena, he had the opportunity to do joined Sampdoria a couple of seasons ago but he turned it down due to personal reasons I think it was because he wanted to stay with family here in the Netherlands but I think Paul makes a great point it'd be good for him to to push on his career and look for a move abroad to another country to improve even further and it'd be interesting to see what clubs might well be interested in him in the summer yeah that's right um a good player but not a great player and I think again that's the problem that final have they don't have many um, great players of that elevated level that can really make a difference. Um, and I think on, on this topic of being one of the big teams in the division, we had a question from El de Pigeon 
and he he says congratulations guys for the fifth podcast. He wants us to keep going, um, and he wants to know a bit more about Arzad and Haag. He says you know the Hague is the first third biggest city in the whole of the Netherlands. It's rich, it's prestigious, and historically though it's got such a poor football club. He says compared to Ajax, PSV, and Feyenoord. And he thinks it's nonsense. Um, James, what do you think about this? The Hague is a big city in the Netherlands, so why has the, the club not received good um, a good history? Well, first and foremost, I think it's a great question. I think it's always good to have questions of this ilk on the pod, so uh, congratulations on a great question. I'm more than happy to answer it. First and foremost, Ardo is a people's club. It's a special people's club that has always had its moments in terms of uh, even playing in, in Europe in the 80s, you know, and I can understand the um, the point that, uh, that, that, that the Twitter follower makes, but you've got to remember as well, the stadium is only 15,000. You compare that to the to the Kalp of, uh, you know, and you compare that to the Young Arena, the, the capacities are a lot larger. And also as well, Ardo haven't really helped themselves with, with, with the managers upon which they've they've chosen in recent years in terms of marquee managers to help push that up just a little bit more. They tried for Ferdinand on many, many different occasions. And he, at many, many occasions, everybody thought he was going to take it. And the last time they were playing some tremendous stuff was under Maurice Stein. And uh, that came to an abrupt end. You know, I can understand the point about how it hasn't really pushed on, but the dynamics of the club don't really allow for that. I mean, they was in uh, with the Chinese owners that they have, you know, and, and wanting to push on. But we're, given the, the way and the dy- dynamics of the club, it's not really conducive. But you never know in the future in terms of, um, you know, a, a marquee manager. You know, to, get, to give an example, you know, Vitesse went for Slutsky. Uh, which nobody thought he would accept the job, and he did. And to give an example, you know, about being an ambitious in, in trying to attract a, a bigger name and a bigger manager to push on. You know, this is a club with a uh, with history, and you know, this is a club who, who you know, they've won the, they've only won the two Eredivisie titles, they've only won the Dutch Cup twice. The last time was in the seventies, I think, nineteen seventy-five, and. Um, yeah, I can understand the question, but as I say, the, the short of that question is the dynamics of the club are completely different in terms of uh, the two other, other biggest cities in, uh, in the country in terms of Amsterdam and Rotterdam. But um, yeah, who knows? They could well surprise us all and make uh, make waves in the coming seasons. I think um, other than Haag in The Hague, it sort of draws comparisons to me to England. You know, you've got your big clubs in London, Chelsea, Arsenal all that sort of thing. And then in, in Manchester, you've got City, United. And then in Birmingham, you've got, of course, I mean, I'm an Aston Villa fan, a big, big club in Birmingham. But you've also got Birmingham City and, um, of course, Aston Villa's main rivals. And they have won next to nothing in their entire history. Obviously, as an Aston Villa fan, that makes you very happy. However, you think about Arden and Hark and their relatively modest history. But the same goes to Birmingham. And I think... If if I drew a comparison to Birmingham, maybe because um, of just the, of the way the history's gone, the way the funding's gone, money money's a big factor in football, isn't it? And I think that may yeah, well have seen what's happened there. No, I, I fully agree, Michael. And money is also a big factor here. We saw with the with the known fact of the bookkeeping here in the Netherlands for the clubs is supervised by the, uh, the Dutch FA department where your books have to 
always be in order. Otherwise, you're threatened with financial sanctions, with points deduction, and if you don't heed any potential warnings, you're threatened with relegation. Um, if I can just make a point on your club, in my opinion, you support one of the biggest clubs in England. I'm not just saying it because we do a podcast together, but Aston Villa are a massive club, and you should be very proud of them. I uh, definitely am. We've had another question from Cam. Um, as we edge towards the end of our podcast, we've got plenty more questions to go. And he would like to know what our favourite Eredivisie moments has been this year. Now, Paul and James, I hope you've had a little rack of your brains for this one. If not, I'll give you a chance. Have a little think. Because I, I think I might have mine. Even though I haven't gone through every single Eredivisie moment, I did find myself enjoying that Ajax PSV game the other day. Um, what a match that was. High quality. Perhaps PSV didn't give their 100% in that game but I I did particularly enjoy that moment when um, Neres was tripped and the VAR which has been very prominent in their Eredivisie this season gave the penalty and Tadic buried it to reignite the the title race and the, the whole of Amsterdam just erupted in that moment and you know I'm not an Ajax fan but I thought that was a, a particularly exciting moment um, just for the Eredivisie really it's, it's good to see that we've, we've got some really good players back in the Dutch league and it's making it really high quality and exciting again well, uh, I can go first. Uh, I've got two two moments or two games that I like to talk about. It's it's the game that you talked about, the the topper from uh, last weekend, and uh, Clasico in the end of January, the six two game. Uh, it was uh, one of the craziest games I've ever ever done. Um, with the opening, uh, with a free kick and and the turnaround. From uh, final, it, it was it was something else. Uh, I was I was lost for words uh, commentating that uh, game. Uh, actually, uh, Ajax were good for the first eight minutes, and then <laughs> when all went pear shaped for them. Yeah, I'll go for I'll go for two different ones. Myself being at um, the Young for the eight 0 victory for Ajax over the Frauska. It was the biggest win I've ever seen. Ajax at home in all the years I've been here attending matches, so I thought that was quite that was quite a nice moment. You know, to go to a game, you go to matches not thinking that you're going to go and witness eight nil, but uh, but it turned out to be that way. And I'd also give a special mention to FC Emmen, who are who are in their debut season and in the top flight here in the Netherlands, and they're fighting extremely hard to stay up. And under Dick Lukin, they've done a tremendous job. But I think. The moment for me is when everyone actually sat up and took notice of them when they drew at home to PSV. And uh, it might have only been a draw, and you could say, oh, it's just a draw, but upon the manner upon which they did it, I think I believe they were also 2-0 down, and they managed to fight back against PSV at home and gain that draw. And that point for them could be the difference between potential relegation playoffs and staying up uh, automatically in the Eredivisie. And I think, considering how hard... The whole club has worked, and in particular the manager and Dick Lukey, who I've spoken to managers who played under him before, and also when he was an assistant at Feyenoord and Groningen, he's got such tremendous motivational skills, and you can see that now. A tremendous result for Emmen today as well, at home to Heerlen Fein, and it's these types of results that will hopefully keep them up. To you got to remember as well, for such a small club with I think a stadium of just only five, just over five thousand people, you know your debut season in, in, in the top flight of the professional football in that country and they are holding their own and doing themselves proud. Yeah, really nice moments from both of you there. I think 
It's really encapsulated a really exciting season for the ODVC, and long may it continue. Um, we must plough on, and the next question comes from um, from Toto Ramdata, second question in this podcast, and he wants to know uh, where Memphis Depay will be next season. So slightly unrelated to the ODVC there, but where do we think Memphis will be next season? There has been a link to Liverpool this week. I do, uh, I do uh, quite a few French games as well. Uh... Uh, I've done uh, Lyon quite a few times this season and the past 10 seasons actually but uh, uh, I don't think uh, any top shelf clubs would want uh, Memphis to buy actually because he's uh, not consistent enough uh, Yeah, he, as someone said on Twitter after the Barcelona games he, he missed his big club audition in that uh, game so I don't don't think Liverpool will be the team for him, and I don't think Jurgen Klopp would want him. No, really, really, really good comment there on on Memphis, and um, I think if anything, the the top shelf clubs will come in for Memphis based on his Dutch national team form, where he's been brilliant, um, and he's been relied upon in the strikers' role. Perhaps as a future for him in that kind of position, you can kind of see why Liverpool might be after him. That kind of um, pacey pacey forward that will belong in that front three, but yeah. Agreed, it's not consistent enough at club level at all. And his attitude has made a difference at his time um, with Leon. Um, James, if I could ask you a next question. Um, Cam has another question. He wants to know um, what the time li- timeline is on Carol Iting's Ajax return. He's been injured for quite a lot, hasn't he? And is he likely to come back this season or is he just going to have to start again fresh next season? Um, I think given Navani and what's at stake... And the fact they hold him in such high regard, I wouldn't be surprised if, if they put pull out all the stops to have him back and ready and to make a big impression next season. He has been involved in in, in squads. He has made uh, substitute appearances and, and been on the subs bench. But I think they hold him in such high regard that with the five games to go, uh, you know, and, and the pressure at domestic level to become champion for the first time in five seasons, I think. I think we'll see more of him next season. I don't just think it'll be in the sense of he's back from injury, fit and ready to play. I think he himself knows as well. He's got to, he's got to give a little bit of gas and really fight hard. And I think we'll be talking about him a lot more next season. Yeah, absolutely. Um, especially if Frank Dion moves on. You know, you've got Marion, but also Carrot Iting's playing that deeper midfield role. Um, next question comes from Vada and he wants to know if the Ajax-Barcelona cooperation thing is real and if so, how will it impact Ajax? Well, one thing I must say about this is that when Mark Overmars was questioned, he said, you know, we don't want to give our players away to Barcelona. You know, we want to close the gap between um, the kind of second tier in Europe and Ajax, you know, becoming, um, becoming improving even more. And I think because of the historical link, I think people make far too much of a bigger deal of it. You know, yes, you had in the very, very early days the likes of Linus Pickles and Jan Kulev going to Barcelona when, you know, and changing the whole DNA of this club. And I think people, especially here in the Netherlands, they, they cherish the link so much that they expect that almost every single player will go there. But the club isn't always conducive to a particular player going there. To give you an example, De Jong, has cho- De Jong has chosen to go there. Now, you see links all the time about De Ligt also going to Barcelona, but you don't go to a club just because your mate is also going to the same club. It, it doesn't really work like that. And I, I just think that far too much is 
is made of the link in a, in a, in a romantic sense. You know, you know, it's healthy for players to look at other clubs. It's healthy for players to go to Germany or to England or to France and, and have a look around before making that step up. You know, Barcelona have sent, spent a tremendous amount of money on the young, and I wish him all the best in Barcelona. But you've got to remember, going away to the Graafschap, going away to Venlo and going away to uh, Den Haag is completely different when you go away to the likes of San Sebastian, Valencia and Sevilla. The whole atmosphere, the whole game, the whole pressure, environment, everything. So I think I think far too much is played of the link and I think Overmars quietly quelled the fact as if I had to kind of like a serving club, which they're not. They're a, a huge club in their own right. I think Overmars was extremely professional in, in the way upon which he worded the answer where he said, you know, we're, we're not going to give our players away for a, a cheap price. You know, it's about ensuring the future of the club for Ajax and, and, and making sure their players make the right decision and that the, the health of the club is observed at all times. Uh, I, comp- I completely agree and I, I also read the, the statements from uh, from Owen Mars and I, I was uh, happy to see him do that actually because uh, uh, Ajax are a big club uh, club in their own right, like you said, and uh, they should be a development uh, uh, club or a sort of a academy for uh, for uh, Barcelona or anyone. They 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 are a big club in their own right, and they they've beaten Real Madrid in uh, in the Champions League this season, and that shows you the format in a way. Uh, they're at that level. When they do things right, so uh, I completely agree. They they should be a, a farmer club, or what do you call it in uh, in as as they call it in uh, American sports, like um, they have in the hockey hockey world and uh, and um, yeah. yeah. Good answers, guys. Um, and the final question this week comes from Chris, and he says, "Do you think the Netherlands ladies' results in the Algarve Cup will carry over to the World Cup?" Or will we see a team that won the the Euros? Um, James, you and I have met some of these players, you mainly. Um, but then, you know, how 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 do you think they'll be looking forward to this World Cup? And is there a good chance? Now, I know we've kind of answered this before a little bit, talking about the chances of an Evans doing at the World Cup. But now we're getting so close. Do, do we think the results in the Algarve Cup will carry over to the competition? Because I think they realise, and just to give Chris a heads up, he can read the interviews with the majority of the uh, of the squad, mainly the entire midfield on footballandu.com, and uh, of, of what's gone before when I interviewed the players. Um, I think a good sign is that they, um, they had a friendly against Mexico, which they won two nil, um, not uh, a couple of days ago actually, and they play uh, they play Chile upcoming, uh, and it's good for them to play different nations. One thing that strikes me is, yes, the Algarve Cup in the defeat to Spain and Poland was, was difficult, but they all, when I spoke to the majority of them, they all spoke about how pleased they were to write history uh, by winning the Euros in 2017 and how they realised that this World Cup is a fantastic opportunity. And uh, it's going to be difficult for them, but I think they know this 
in terms of the World Cup is the only opportunity they may well get in terms of the nucleus of the group that they have and I think um, I think they've got to be up there with the favourites to win the competition you know the reigning European champions and a, and a good uh, and a good nucleus of players I think that the, the captaincy changing as well I think um, Sally van Feenendal is, is now the captain is the goalkeeper but there's still some very very good players in that squad you know Daisy Day van Lundelen van Freiburg and um, and uh, and Decker and Spitzer and Van der Donk of Arsenal, you know, there's um, excellent uh, excellent players there and um, a real good nucleus. So they should, uh, I think they realise this is an opportunity that won't come round very often. And hopefully, under the guidance of Liechman, they will able be able to take it with both hands. Great. Well, um, Paul James, thank you very much for joining me in this podcast. And I think the the comment from Jordan that I sent in Invitator says it all. He says, "Congratulations on reaching 50 podcasts." Here's to 100. Cheers, James. Uh, cheers, Jordan. And um, yeah, I think we'll look forward to doing plenty more in the future. Paul, hopefully you can join us again in future. And James, as usual, thank you for joining me. You're more than welcome. If I could just say as well, a, a very big well done to yourself and to, and to Mike. You know, we started out on this podcast road uh, many, many years, uh, well, a couple of years ago now. And I remember the first one being, um, being almost two hours. Do you remember? Hmm. <laughs> and uh, I just think all three of us bring something different to the table in terms of uh, tactics and knowledge and it's a real team effort so I just wanted to say a big well done from my part to you and to Mike in that respect in us all reaching 50 podcasts yeah congrats on the 50th and uh, raise my glasses uh, for, for 100 <laughs> okay, thanks guys and um, yeah I think listeners can look forward to plenty more in the future we've got um, another podcast coming in the next couple of weeks, I think we'll be reviewing Ajax Juventus, a lot more of the Eredivisie. There's plenty more to come. There's also plenty more to come in, in June. There's uh, the Women's World Cup. There's also the Nations League semi-final and, fingers crossed, final. Um, yes, plenty more to get excited about. Um, we'll be releasing some much more content soon. So keep tuned on YouTube, SoundCloud and, of course, the website for more content soon.